0: So we started in chapter 12 last week, and I'm going to introduce, just kind of reintroduce it to you uh, in a simple way this morning. Uh, I want you to think about turning on the television this week and hearing, again, another story about a school shooting, and then having the president get on television and say something along the lines of, you know, this is just becoming commonplace, looking at that statistic, 45 School shootings this year. So we're not done with the year. What that means is we're averaging at least one a week in America today. So think about you know I think about when I went to school uh, as a kid. We actually had guns. We did have guns. We had them hanging in the back of our pickup trucks, and you know it wouldn't be uncommon for me to walk through the parking lot and and you know see see guns sitting back there. The guns weren't the problem, right? what is the problem? I mean, right now we've got like, we got to fix this problem, get rid of the guns. And like the problem is inside people. And uh, actually, to be honest with you, the failure has happened at the level of families, to be quite pointed. Uh, I always say that as a family goes, so goes the church. As a church goes, so goes a city. As a city goes, so goes a state. As a state goes, so goes the nation. It always comes right back to that bedrock thing that God said, I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to do it. I want to build strong families around my word. And when you lose that sense of what, who we are and what life is about, uh, then you, you end up where we are today in a crazy place. Well, imagine John. John is watching all of this happen, uh, if you will. I mean centuries ago and he's being shown a vision of right now of what we're living out in our world today and uh for john the question is not different than the one we have we we stop and we say what what in the world is going on here what what's causing how how can we get to a place where you got all the all this stuff going on around us that's just it's unbelievable it's horrible and so chapter 12 begins um kind of what I call a, a, a timeout for John, where God says, John, I'm going to show you now what's been going on from, from before what you would call time ever, even began. And uh, I'm going to give you three scenes, each of which kind of tell you the same thing, but in a little bit different way. And what I want you to see is that the, that the real war that's going on isn't just about guns and bullets, it's about souls. And it's about an enemy that has existed uh, since, since um, after his, his creation, namely this fallen angel that we call Lucifer. So last week, we kind of started into that first scene where uh, John is being given this picture of what, what has gone on in the heavens and what is going on here on earth. And I'm just going to kind of recap some of that with you and look at a psalm that kind of kind of capsulizes this first scene that, that God gives to John. John says, let me just show you this. A great sign, this great sign appears in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. Remember last week we talked about, you know, the woman signifying not just, not just Mary, who's going to give birth, right, but signifying the church. Thus, the 12 stars that are on top of her head, representative of the 12 tribes, all of those who have been, what, waiting for the promise of the Messiah to come true. She was pregnant, verse 2 says, was crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. And uh, again, last week, we kind of pointed back to the idea that uh, Paul expresses beautifully in Romans chapter 8 that right now, if you can listen to the earth and all of its inhabitants, there is a cry for a birth. And uh, prior to the to the birth of Jesus Christ, that, that cry was for a literal birth, right? Going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And, and I, I always think about this, that after they're given the promise, you will get, be given a seed, a child. And that seed will crush the head of the serpent. That from that day forward, Adam and Eve are asking themselves the question with the birth of each of their children, is this the one? Is this the one? Going all the way back to the garden. And so you can imagine now, here we've gone centuries, right? And, and now the, the, the mother of Jesus cries out with the whole of the church, when, when will the Messiah come? Well, now. I'm bringing the Messiah. Today, looking forward, what are we in agony for? How are we going to fix this mess of the world? not with laws that Congress makes, trust me, all right? There is no fixing the mess that is in our world apart from what Jesus Christ will do when he comes again. He says, I'll fix it, and I'll fix it finally once and for all. And so today, when you hear, you know, when I hear the, the, the world cry out, I'm like, the world is crying out for what his return, is coming again. Verse three says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads with seven diadems. One of the things we, we, we always want to be aware of is when, whenever you see pictures, pictures of the enemy of God, of Satan, notice that he's always dressed up as or trying to look like he is, is God, right? Thus, the seven heads, seven being Jesus' number, ten horns, ten being God or Yahweh's number, uh, seven diadems upon those, those horns. He's always saying, I'm the good guy, all right? Verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, we'll pick, pick up on this a little bit more clearly in the next section beginning verse 7. But what he's referring to is that uh, Satan is not alone in his battle against the church. He has with him, what, a third of the stars in heaven. These are angels, okay? And so when, when Satan is cast down to the earth, who comes with him are these fallen angels. Are they real? Absolutely. What do we call them? They're demons. Okay. That's what we call them, okay? Interestingly enough, when you look to the Bible, um, doesn't really call them demons. Always uses the term spirits okay so they are um spirit beings angels are they don't have obviously they don't have 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 bodies and incarnate but they are certainly with satan fighting against the church okay the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth okay so what what satan is aware of after he is cast down to the earth and we'll pick up that picture again here in just a minute is he's aware that i've been defeated by i've been impe- de- defeated by god right but it ain't over right what does yogi say it ain't over to it anyway. so who's my new enemy you all right so satan together with his demons say what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to prevent god from accomplishing what he's set out to accomplish all right, because this war in heaven that's going to take place casts him down, but we still have the cross to come that finally defeats him for us. Okay, God's defeated him. The cross is for us. How do we defeat him? You can't, not apart from the cross. So what does Satan say? I'll try to stop the cross from ever happening. Thus, the dragon is standing in front of the child waiting to devour it. And this just takes us back historically to uh, the second chapter of Matthew when at Christmas time we're reading the story of, of Herod. And I always try to put myself back into that time period and just think about this this king who is so paranoid, right, finds out that, guess what, these these. The, the stars have aligned and, and this child is going to be born and this child is, is supposedly going to be raised up to be a king and he's from, from within the, the race of the Hebrews. Let's just kill them all. Let's literally kill them all. And what I want you to see is that there's a king, a ruler, a political ruler. This is going to become important uh, a little bit later. Political ruler who is what? A pawn in Satan's hand. Does he know that? If I, said to, if I said to Herod, Herod, do you know that you, you really are just like you're a puppet in the hand of a fallen angel? He, he would laugh at you. He'd be like, what? What are you talking about? No, I'm Herod. I'm, I'm the king. So no, no, actually, you're simply a puppet carrying out the will of Satan. Is that true today, still today? Is it possible that you could have political leaders who are literally just carrying out the will of Satan I mean, is that possible? Of course it is. Yeah, it is. And we'll pick that picture up very clearly when we get to the first beast. All right, so uh, verse five. She gave birth to a male child. And this is this is the one I'm going to cross-reference for you. Um, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Okay? So think about what? When will this take place? She gives birth to a child. Now, the primary work of of this child is about a cross. It's about defeating Satan for us, right? But it says this child will rule all nations with a rod of iron. Why does it say that? Okay. Go over to the Psalms and find Psalm number two, second psalm. And what's always kind of blown my mind is that already um, at the time of David as he's being inspired to write these Psalms, there's a clear picture being given to us of this war, this battle that will end finally with what we call Armageddon and the reestablishment of a new earth. Look at at the way that David speaks to this. Uh, Psalm chapter chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed ones, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Already David, did you pick that up with the rod iron? Thousands of years before Jesus is born is pointing forward to not only Jesus' birth, but he's already pointing forward to the day that Jesus will come again and again. All the kings, all the world that stands against, against God, with a wrought iron he will smite, right? And he will bring this, this, this world and its political kingdom to an end. And so already at the time of David, you have this section of the revelation kind of being pointed to. And, uh, and kind of always remember that, is that as John is receiving the revelation, here's what, here's what he's receiving. I'm going to show you, John, what will take place and it's going to take you to the very end of time. Okay, flip back over to the Revelation. So the the dragon wants to devour the child. We have a God who laughs in derision at the plans of the world and of Satan. And so what does it say as we conclude this verse? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, so this takes us to that point in time when Jesus is ascending into heaven. And now these next words are for you, and they're for me. It says, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay. Now, by now, that 1,260 days ought to be familiar to you, right? Remember, we saw it in chapter 11. Um, It's simply a, a period of time that's representative of that time and a time and a, what is it? Half a, Half a time. That's what we're talking about. So what he's pointing to is that as things get worse and worse on earth and the political kingdom rises up against God and his Holy One, right, what's going to happen is the the, the, uh, the church, all right, the woman uh, representing us, flees into the wilderness where well, we are in the wilderness, where she will be nourished for that last period of time. It's, it's God's way of saying to John and saying to us, during that worst period of time on planet Earth, I will provide for you. Even though you will watch the, the, those who govern this world become more and more intentionally against you, and uh, you see persecution again, uh, it'll come uh, like we've never seen it before. I still will be the one who nourishes you through that period of time he's saying to john john things look horrible but trust me trust me put your trust in me and so um he's giving john again this and you and i this sense that guess what we we're in a battle with an adversary who has hated jesus christ and the church for a long long time right go to the next section all right Next section, I just want you to notice the first word, and the word is now. All right, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to read this linearly, because Revelation is not to be read linearly. And if you do, you'll get lost. Particularly here in chapter 12, there's three scenes that make up one whole picture. And what what God is trying to do is trying to say, John, I want you to get the whole picture of what's been going on from before this world even began. And so he starts off by pointing to Jesus Christ and his birth and this dragon who's against Jesus Christ. Now, now, he's going to take you and give you another scene that takes you to this period of time that actually comes before what we would call time itself. Let's take a look at it. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. All right. So, So what am I saying? I'm saying, John, I'm going to take you back and show you a picture of what is going on in the heavens, in the heavenly realms, long before... This, this, this world is even coming into being. And so you have this battle that's taking place between Satan, Michael, and the angels that have aligned themselves with God and those that have aligned themselves with Satan. Unanswerable, unanswerable is, is a question that gets asked in Sunday school classes just about every time you, you start to study this kind of this kind of story and the question is well what what made Satan Lucifer this angel pit himself against God what caused him to do that okay now the typical answer that we give is what pride I desire to be God every picture you see of Satan in in, in the Bible that's exactly what he's trying to do and so pride leads, leads this angelic being to, de- to decide, guess what? I can come and will come against God and literally to convince other angels to fight a battle with him. That battle is being fought in a dimension that is impossible for our minds to even, even grasp. And what happens now is once they're defeated, they're going to be thrown down and there will no longer be a place for them in heaven, Okay. So keep keep following with me. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Um, kind of interesting to me that, you know, you have this war that goes on in heaven, and you have you have Satan and his angels that are cast down to earth. But when you read the Old Testament, there's a period of time during which Satan is able to return to the heavenly realms and accuse human beings. Okay, And so um, there's a sense in which there's a, a picture being given here of this, this casting down to the earth and there comes this point in time where at jesus's birth he is not only just cast down to the earth but he's the door to heaven is closed to him so the interesting fact when you read the old testament you're going to see satan at times appear in the heavenly realms when you read the new testament post jesus's birth guess what never again He, he does not have access to heaven again not until the end of time all right so um let me show this to you if you if you will turn over to job chapter one and remember this scene with me. Yeah, no, no, he's cast down, that's right. He's cast down uh, to earth at, its, at, at earth's inception. Yeah, but the war is taking place. And see, this is what I say, our time and space understanding, the way we think, you, you'll never get it, right? But the war is a war that's occurring in the heavenly realms. The casting down is at that point when, when earth is created, yeah. All right, so Job chapter 1, let's get to uh, verse number 6. I'll read it. All right, so now, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. All right, um, you, can, you can just kind of see this picture of Satan appearing, appearing in the heavenly realm. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered, the Lord, and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So once he's cast down to the earth, you kind of get this picture in your mind that, okay, now he's just stuck on earth. But it's not true. During, throughout the Old Testament period, he has the ability to do this. Up, down, heavenly realm, right? Earth. And so he's appearing now before God and God is questioning him. What did, where did you come from? Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth. And then verse 80 says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. It's one of those verses of scripture that really gives people trouble. Because uh, here, here is Satan who is looking for what? A way to come against God. Even though he's lost the war, he's been cast down, I'm still looking for what? The battle's not over. I'm fighting with against your creature, your creation and so why does God say hey I got a great idea for you how about Hank <laughs> right um, why does he say have you thought about Job well because God God is fully in control knows exactly what will occur before it occurs and and knows that he's going to take this this man named Job and he's going to use his life actually to strengthen our lives so verse 9, Satan answers the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for no reason? He knows Job. Have you not put a hedge around him and around his house and all that he has on every side? There's a hedge. What does that mean? Well, it's pointing again to the fact that what, when, when Satan is cast down, he's cast down what? Under the authority of God. So then nothing he does in this realm today can he do outside of the authority of god all right so he's right when satan says you put a hedge around him that is correct it's why we'll pray for that right there, there's times in our lives when we're saying god would you put a hedge of protection around me would you bring your angels around me because there are times in our life when we we will face what i call satanic oppression where where the devil is very much intending to come after us spiritually all right flip back over to uh, the revelation what i want you to see there is that when it, when we're talking about the devil being thrown down to earth we're we're talking about these two things one he's cast down into this realm now with the birth of the child jesus christ bam that door back into the heavenly realms is closed once and for all last night um last night connie moeller texted and um she said pastor today we're going to be talking to some families with with eddie in oregon and she said one of the things that we have to do is we've got to talk to uh the families of christians um whose kids were killed because when this shooter rampaged through the campus he asked the question, are you, are you Christian? Okay. Now, if I'm understanding it right, because I have not read all the news reports on this thing, but if I understand right, he probably killed Christians and non-Christians, right? I think that's true. Part of what I understand is he's trying to imitate what happened in Columbine because the goal of the shooter was to become, I want to become famous. I want to become well-known. So he's aware that the guy in Columbine Asked kids, are you a Christian? Bam, killed them. So what Connie said to me last night is, are there any scriptures out there that would be comforting, you know, for a parent who's lost a child, and part of what's going on in their minds is, did my child die because they said they were Christian? I said, Connie, there's a, there's a number of, of places I want to take you in the scripture, but one of them is right here to this 10th verse of the Revelation Chapter, chapter 12. These are good words for us today. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day day and night before our God. Okay. Now look at these next words. And they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. You know, I, I don't know if you ever thought about this question, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those hypotheticals. If somebody walked into this room today and said, you got a choice. You're a Christian, I'm going to shoot you dead. You're not a Christian, you can walk out of the room. I think all of us have kind of thought about that. What, what would I do? Would I stand up and say, absolutely, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, shoot away. Or would I say, boy, I think I might kind of just... Uh, Slide out and say, uh, "Well, I'm not quite sure. I, I didn't. I, I just came into this church because they have donuts, and I, I slid, slid in here. And so I'm going to just get my coffee and go. What would I do, right? And I love these words that that we're hearing here because it points to the fact that um, already you're a conqueror. Uh, that right now you and I can say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we, we know where we're going to spend eternity. And, and what that faith allows you to do, it allows you to say that I, I'm not going to love my life um, in this world more, more than death. If death is to come, let it come. And um, if, you know, if I'm shot or I'm killed because of my faith, then I know where I'm going to spend my eternity because I come under the one who has already overcome the, the, the dragon, right? And so I think about, you know, today Connie and Mo, and they're walking with some folks that are saying, you know, why would God let this happen? And, and the answer is, you know what, it still happened under the authority of God. Um, nothing on this planet can happen apart from that. And I would want to say to every parent of a Christian that died, is your son and your daughter did not die in vain. They strengthened me. That a kid's able to stand up and say, shoot away. I believe in Jesus Christ. That strengthens me today. Because um, I think you and I know that uh, we live in a world that will continue to come against us more and more and more and more. And what, what John is being given here, what you and I are being given here, is just that assurance. Don't love life more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand firmly on your faith. If it costs you your life, it costs you your life. M- most of the readers who would hear these words spoken when they were read for the first time, many of them would die, right? They would be, they would be killed. And yet John is saying, but by the blood of the Lamb, you have overcome. Verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, rejoice, heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now, think about that. From day one, that the devil is cast down to to a new earth and meets an Adam and Eve. From that moment, The devil says, my time is short, right? Here we are thousands of years later thinking, boy, it's been a long, long time. No, no, short time. And I think that time keeps getting shorter and shorter. And that concludes the second scene. So you have scene one, I'm coming against Jesus Christ. Scene two is meant to to be clear to you. It's meant to say, and this one now has been cast down and he's coming against you the difference between the two scene one I'm coming against Jesus Christ I want to kill this child scene two I'm coming against you in both cases he's against both of us all right last scene begins verse 13 and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child okay so the pursuit is the pursuit of the church. Um, One of the reasons I like C.S. Lewis in his writings is he makes it very clear that Satan and his fallen angels, they don't have to worry about people who don't belong to Jesus Christ. I don't have to waste a lot of time. If I'm going to pursue someone, guess who I'm going to pursue? You, people in the church. So instead of putting signs out that say to people, Come join our church. It's, it's a wonderful thing to become a, become a Christian, and your life is going to become beautiful, and you're going to become rich, and you're going to. We actually should tell people the truth. We should say things like this: If you would like to come, become part of the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, number one, know that you're going to come underneath a God who wants to kill you every single day. Seriously? Oh yeah, he wants to put your old Adam to death. And raise you up a new person every day. Is that painful? Yep. Come on in. Oh, and well, not only that, but there's this little fallen angel that's been on Earth like uh, like thousands of years who hates you and he will pursue you. You mean my life's not going to get like better and I get correct, right? I tell people when you become part of not not the organization, of the church, but you become part. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Hang on, because. The devil intends to do what? Come after you. I'm pursuing you. I've got your number. All right? But the woman, verse 14, was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to that place where she is to be nourished for a time and a times and a half a time. Beautiful words again. That though we are under pursuit, what God does is, is, is he continues to put his hedge around us and nourish us throughout this entire period of history. The serpent, these are just pictures, pours water, a river of water out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Flood always ties back to sin, right? I want to just pour out my deceptions and cause you to sin. Because what did, what did the flood do? The flood actually had to kill a world that had been, what, trapped in sin, was no longer redeemable. But the earth came to help out the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Um, So, again, the picture is meant to say that the God of creation will, will what, provide his nourishment to you in the face of deceptions that are coming to you. And part of that nourishment is just the the truths that God continues to give to us. I want to get I want to close this out before we uh, before we leave. Because this this is this is kinda the last the last part of this third scene that I I think we want to stick it in our heads clearly. It says Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea what i want us to leave with today is just this, this reality that we are in a war never tell yourself differently satan is not just doesn't just kind of look at you and say oh you know there's a he hates you hate your marriage Hate your family. Hate your kids. Rejoices with any small victory he can get of turning you just a little bit away, a little bit away, a little bit away from the truths of God. Here's my concern as we close out today. When, you, when I come to a church, does it seem like we're at war? You know, one of my big concerns is. The same, the same, kind of the same problem that we're, we're faced with when a president stands up and says, hey, hey everybody, we've got to get rid of the guns. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not that kind of war. It's this kind of war, spiritual war. And to fight that war is to, is to really join hands together as a, as a church, as a body. And how do you win that war? Only through putting the cross of Jesus Christ into our lives. Here's what I'm concerned about. Fastest-growing denomination in Grand Island, Nebraska. What is it? So I just got these statistics a while back. We looked at them. We studied them. All the demographics of our area. What's the fastest-growing denomination in Grand Island, Nebraska? The nuns. The nuns are not the nuns that wear Catholic-like clothes. I'm talking about the nuns, N-O-N-E's. Fastest-growing denomination in Grand Island, Nebraska, are those who say, guess what? No church for me. Okay? Why? Where's the failure? Always starts back where, guys? Families. And so one of the things I hope we can pray for, and we will today, we'll pray for the families of some folks who lost some children in Oregon. But I want to pray for families in this community that we might be a body that says, how do we put our efforts into strengthening families so that kids grow up knowing this is the only way that you win this battle? You can't, beat, you can't beat a spiritual creature who's been on this earth since its inception. You can't do it. Destroy you. In Jesus Christ, you can stand firmly against him knowing that he has already been defeated. Let's pray. Lord God. As we come